0: Hello, and welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles, or Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. You're listening to the abridged version of this episode. If you'd like to hear the extended, uncut edition, you can for as little as $1 a month by pledging to support the podcast and the Cosmic Shambles Network. You'll get access to extended episodes of Book Shambles each week, as well as all sorts of other goodies like free tickets to our events, and so on, and so on, and etc. Go to patreon.com
1: slash bookshambles. It's a forward slash, but you know that again. Hello, Producer Trent here. Welcome to Book Shambles and an extra special welcome, as always, to all our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Book Shambles is where you can go to become one of those. A dollar a month is the minimum that you can sign up for. You can sign up for a lot more than a dollar a month if you'd like, and that helps us keep the podcast going and paying for studios and uh, server space and, you know, editing and all the sort of stuff that is required to make a podcast and everything we do at The Cosmic Shambles network so we really appreciate your support on there five star reviews on apple Podcasts as well really helps us out as does just sharing the word about book shambles and all of the blogs and the events and the everything else that we do at the cosmic shambles network some of those events that you might like to share include nine lessons and carols for curious people which will be at the larry and salford and king's place in london this end of november for salford and then throughout december In London, all the usual science and music and comedy and poetry and madness you expect from those shows. As always, uh, profits from the ticket sales will be going to charity. We'll be announcing uh, which charities we're supporting this year soon. So go to CosmicChambles.com slash 9lessons for tickets for all of those events. Robin will be hosting every night and there'll be many, 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 many guests, Claudia Hammond and Beck Hill and Josie Long and Andrea Seller and Simon Singh and Jim Alkalili, today's guest uh, on this episode of Book Shambles will uh, be joining us for one of the nights, uh, Lucy Green, Matt Parker, uh, Sebley Delisle, Natalie Haynes. Lots and lots of people uh, are going to be on stage as part of those. Check that out. Uh, May 17, 2020, next year, is Sea Shambles at the Royal Albert Hall. Robin and Helen Chersky and Steve Backshaw will be anchoring that, uh, pun intended, with lots of amazing special guests. That is going to be uh, a massive show. You might have seen uh, one of our tweets uh, this week that we've just been at the Hall last week for our first major production meeting for that show. Uh, and it's always nice at those production meetings because we, we talk about what the show's going to be and you've got lots of uh, kind of Albert Hall uh, production managers and technical people and they sit there and they look and you go, you're doing what now? You Okay, no, fine, let's do that. That's the thing that normally happens in this very historic and prestigious building. Like last time uh, when we had the first meeting for uh, Space Shambles and we had to have a very long discussion about how to winch a pie out of the middle of the dome. Um, That was apparently a discussion they'd never had before. Anyway, tickets for that are cosmicshambles.com slash shambles. Come along to that. We'll also be at the Norwich Science Festival with a couple of shows, so check that out. Signals is on tour with us and Footprint Theatre. Uh, Cosmicshambles.com slash Signals is where you'll find out all the dates for that going to Newcastle and York and Sheffield, amongst other places. Robin Ince on tour in November with Chaos of Delight. Also going to Newcastle, uh, but also going to Edinburgh and Glasgow and Exeter and Penzance and Shoreham and Southampton. uh, Lots of places on that tour. Check out those dates at robinintz.com. And something else uh, I always forget to, uh, not plug, but kind of mention uh, on these admins for those of you that don't just keep hitting that skip button. uh, Sign up for our mailing list. Uh, The link is on the homepage of cosmicshambles.com. Uh, com. We send out uh, updates and news and things on those quite regularly. But also, there's often ticket offers on there where you can get some discount tickets to our events uh, or find out first about pre-sales, stuff like that. So uh, sign up to that. Uh, it is free to do so. You just put your details in and tick uh, 397 uh, GDPR boxes and away you go. And also, uh, we keep getting uh, messages and tweets about... Uh, people wanting to know where they can get the reading lists of things that are mentioned in each episode. If you aren't aware of that, go to cosmic com slash book shambles, pick the episode that you want to get the reading list for. And uh, they're attached, they're little drop down boxes for each episode. So for this one, just go to the, the Jim al page within book shambles on the website. And there'll be a reading list of everything that Robin and Jim and Beck have recommended and the same for every episode we have ever done and then you can go off and get said book at your favorite uh, bookshop independent bookshop uh, massive online chain Oxfam, wherever you get books so on to this week's episode now uh, this is robin and beck in the studio again with physicist and now science fiction author professor jim al-khalili <music>
0: Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's book shambles. Uh, Josie is away as usual, and uh, Beck Hill is Josie long as usual. I mean, I'm really we, long. We'll be changing. She will be eating apples throughout the podcast, <laughs> um, and we're joined by Jim who who is uh, best known, obviously, for a lot of the, the work on Radio Four as a science lecturer, and also for, for his many different books looking at ideas of black holes and quantum mechanics. But now has written a work of science fiction, uh, which. Is called uh, Sunfall, and it is one of those books where we start off where the world is going mm. awry, Da-da-da. and so you know we go straight in that. But we 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 go to various different characters, uh, scientists, pilots, etc., and we're given this different well, different sense of something is going wrong. Yes, the magnetosphere, etc. Now, the first thing I want to do is so why. Did you start with some of these ideas, wanting to deal with them in a non-fiction way, and then thought, Do you know what? Why don't <laughs> I turn this? In? Can I explore things in a, I suppose, in a way where you're allowed to be more playful with the science?
2: Because if you're writing a science, Do you book- know what? If if that were true, it would be very nice. That you know, I I thought I would explore a new way of communicating ideas in physics. No, it, wasn't. it right. was it was purely um, a vanity project. <laughs> I thought, why not try my hand at fiction? Actually, it was. I, would, I just published one um, a nonfiction book, um, quantum biology. So it's sort of, you know, popular science, but sort of you know sort of cutting edge research. And my publisher's at the launch party. That was
0: nonfiction.
2: Come on! Oh, come on! That was come crazy on. stuff. <laughs> I, know. I know. Yeah. Well. Well. No, that was not. That was proper proper <laughs> science. Um, and the publishers, even at the launch party, said, so what's what's next? I said, what do you mean, what's next? <laughs> Go on, give me a break. Uh, so I said, well, I don't know. I've got everything off my chest. I've talked about quantum mechanics. I've talked about black holes in the universe. I've talked about the history of science. I'm not quite sure what else I want to talk about just yet. Maybe I'll write a novel, I said, you know, as a, as a joke. And because I'm big-headed and think everything is going to be just easy, uh, and they said, oh, really? Or oh, what would it be about? I said, well, I don't know. I suppose it'll be... Sci-fi thriller, maybe. And before I knew it, they'd arranged this meeting with their commissioning editor. This is Trans World, uh, very lovely guy Simon Taylor, uh, who uh, who said, "Yeah, great. Well, let's see what you've got." And I thought, "Well, how hard can it be?" <coughs> uh, turns out it's actually quite hard and yeah. very, very different from non-fiction. So no, it was it was big, simply sort of by accident. I thought, you know, why not go for it? And so see why? What
0: the plot of Sunfall, why, why did you want to deal with this particular idea of really, the, you know,
2: the um, end of
0: civilization and um, the future of humankind, sh- you know? When, yeah, should I, these... think,
2: I think I want to, I mean, I'm, obviously, I, I grew up reading sort of the hard near-future sci-fi, you know, the Arthur C. Clarke, Larry Niven, Asimov and so on. So I, I've always preferred reading the near-future science where you want to get the science right and... Mm-hmm. and, and you know, try and imagine a world that could be as opposed to the sort of distant future yeah. uh, sort of fantasy. Um, and there's not that much around now. There's a, there's a, there are a few good sort of hard sci-fi authors around, but not as many as I seem to remember. So I thought I'd write a book that would be the sort of science fiction thriller I would like to read. Um, then it was simply a case of fight, well, what, what would the theme be? And and I sort of almost got pressured into, oh, God, they want they, they want me to write a, a novel. Uh, what, what will it be about? It's not as though I even had these ideas sort of bubbling and fermenting around in my head in, in advance. And so gradually it emerged that it was going to be like a sort of a Hollywood disaster movie in a book. Um, hmm. You know, so, you know, building up the, the tension. I also grew up reading a lot of Stephen King. So that, you know wanting to turn the page, what happened, and then it came for her, and that's the end of the mm. chapter, you know. So so I, I, I wanted to write something that was fast-paced, that built on the sort of science, cutting-edge science, that I'm immersed in in my professional life.
0: What was the biggest challenge in terms of, for instance, like, you know, you haven't before had to create characters. You may mm. well be, you know, creating an image of Schrodinger or whoever it is, or, or taking part of their, their right. biography, but that that moment of inhabiting... Other people's minds and making sure the delineation between because of course you know the, the characters that many of them are, are are experts in this in different yes. areas.
2: How difficult was that? Very difficult. A lot harder than I thought. I mean, I started off by saying, well, I would model them on people I know. Yeah, as uh, to ask that. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, so in one of the characters, Sarah Maitland is a solar physicist who is very much modelled on Lucy Green. Right. You know who you know is a solar physicist, professor at UCL that I know very well. Um, but of course, when you're building a character, and this is the, the the thing that I found hard to begin with, and it took a while to just turn them into three dimensional people with their own personalities. And yeah. what was lovely that I think if if you're a, a, a novelist, or if, even if you've done a creative writing course, <laughs> which, which I hadn't done at all, um, you would you would you'd know about. But it came as a surprise to me that it comes a point when your characters are developed enough, that they have enough of their own personality, they become people in my head, they start doing things differently from the way I would do them. So I would get a character, you know, I want a character to do something, and the character say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> you might do that, Jim, but I wouldn't. And you realise they've become people with their own traits that... I, I haven't. That's sort of grown organically as I started writing, and
3: so I, having children.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it is, isn't it? And 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 the whole world, your imagined world, where you know, I'm so used to writing nonfiction and describing the universe that we live in and mm. trying to understand it, to somehow have the freedom to imagine a universe of my own creation was was something that I I just didn't expect. I don't know why I didn't expect it, but I suppose because I'd never really tried my hand at fiction.
0: See, I find it interesting when, when you talk to it. Like someone was telling me that Pat Barker's work—you know, wrote uh, *Regeneration*, uh, 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 *Ghost Road*, and, and many others—and and that she sits in it in down and waits for the characters to walk into her head. And she actually doesn't feel that she's there. It's like she's eavesdropping. She's not making them say things, so, so they kind but of walking. into a
3: hedge. Into a hedge <laughs> as well.
0: Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Most of the uh, of, of her First World War novels end with someone going, and then Siegfried Sassoon went, "Oh, I'm stuck in a hedge." Yeah, and then then later on, post war, of course, a lot of it's about his fox hunting based topiary. So, memoirs of a fox hunting man. The base of that is just you know, as, as he went to leap over, unfortunately, the peacock's beak caught the hooves. This, is, and he this died. is normal Robin Ince, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, normal, <laughs> normal topiary-based uh, imagination. So, I mean, in terms of you know the different plants that you use to... Uh, was, no, but, I mean, that... And I also love it when, when you sometimes talk to authors and they go... And I sat there going, why is he doing this? This man's a bastard. And then I went, I'm making him... I mean, yeah, that's yeah. That, <laughs> that, that, that strange... Because I don't think it's kind of... It's not an Abrahamic god in that position. It, it is one of the Greek gods or another but, god. Exactly. They're that's manipulating not, and go, yeah. uh-oh, I've created a monster.
2: Yes, I think at some point you stand back and allow. What you know? What would? It begins with I want this character to do this. I want this character to have this personality trait, and, and so and it gets to a point. Well, you know, what would they do in this situation? It's not what would I do. What do I want my creation to do? Suddenly they become, you know, having their own free will, and they and they would maybe deal with the situation differently from the way I would. And that was, that was quite nice because I realised suddenly this, I'd created this world. But then, of course, you know, which my, my editor kept telling me, he said, look, just because you may have this imagined world in your head, you know, you, you, you have to get it down there. The sights, the sounds, the smells, the, you know, it's there. Don't, unless you put it down on the page, your, your reader isn't going to be imagining the same world that you're imagining. Uh, and so that, again, w- once you're told this, Oh yeah, of course that that makes sense. You know, so so there are lots of tricks that things that would were, are obvious to to to, to, novelists, to writers. Show don't tell is is mm-hmm. you know the famous one. Uh, don't you know sp- spell everything out so explicitly. Let it come through the, the 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 actions and sights and so on in in the book. Or the one I I, I did like was watch your POV, your point of view. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, you're you're seeing you're seeing the world through one of the characters, one of the protagonist's eyes. Uh, and and then someone else suddenly felt angry. And how do you know they felt? They may have looked angry. How do you know they felt angry? You can't you can't suddenly jump and have the camera seeing out of their eyes. You can do it in the next chapter if you want. But this chapter, you're seeing the world through. So uh, and I thought, well, you know, really, is that uh, an issue? And my editor Simon said a reader may not appreciate that that's what you've done, but it would still jar with them. It would mm. still seem awkward. So. Yeah, th- those things all sort of gradually, you know, I picked up. It was a very steep learning curve to the point where I now feel, Ooh, maybe I've learnt enough, I might write another one. one yeah. Day. <laughs> yeah. What was
3: your favourite lesson that you, learned? like, what's the, was it that one or was there anything um, that you went, oh?
2: My My favourite one was that the character that I start off with thinking that's going to be the main character that the reader's going to empathise with and really like isn't necessarily the one that ends up being the one that everyone likes. So, in fact, one of the characters is a young uh, Iranian cyber hacker, Shireen, she's a computer scientist. She's she's feisty. You know, this is this is sorry, set in the 2040s, so it's post-Islamic um, revolution in Iran, and Iran is now sort of just as corrupt as anywhere else in the world. And um, she's a... She's Pink hair, piercings. She's she's a feisty lesbian who doesn't want to follow in her parents. You know, and um, I had her killed off halfway through the book. And then my my, my editor told me off. He said, "You can't kill or She's the best character. She's the strongest character." Yeah, but that's the story. So no, change it. You know, it's, your, it's your world. Your god. You know. You're, you you can. And and I want. I think she should. Say. So she she became the strongest character in the book, completely unexpectedly from her. I thought she was going to be a sort of a proliferate sort of on, on the side. That's
0: interesting. Andy Weir said the same thing with his last book, I think it was Artemis, that uh, about halfway through the book he suddenly went, oh, that very minor character I've just realised <laughs> is actually the main character but, yeah. and I need to oh. now start because this is the perspective that I want to deal with and, and he, yeah. so so a lot of the, the people who had been the leads suddenly just kind of, you know, went, oh no, they're, go, they're going yeah, now. Yeah, going I read that Yeah.
3: I never would have thought, I would have just assumed that, that she was the
0: No, she, she, she was she was going to be this kind of, you know, little bit of an extra kind of, you know flourish. Yeah. Within the book, and then he went, Oh no, this is far more interesting. Mm. The, 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 this plot. <laughs> also, right. I like
3: to think that God has an editor.
0: <laughs> the, yeah. the, you
3: know, that the editor says to God, Oh, what do you do? what do you do that for? No, you're God. Change it. Change yeah. it. I don't like this story. The editor oh, not likes to Come on. Switch it up a bit. The locust angle frogs. has been
0: done a lot now. So, <laughs> when you're reading, I mean, first, actually, just while we stay on Sunfall mm. for a moment, which is. Is there, how important, or it is there any importance to actually the science in the book for for the readers? Are you hoping, is, is it very much primary, you hope that the people who read this are having an adventure with you? And yes, there is science, and you've tried to make it as accurate as possible for our current understanding, but that's just by the by. Or do you hope that people, when they finish this book, go, do you know what, I want to know a little bit more about this particular
2: idea? I, I think... Looking back at it now in retrospect, I think it probably is a good vehicle for explaining some of the science. And I and I wasn't that wasn't my motive when I was writing it. And as you're right, I wanted to get the if nothing else, I was going to get the science right, uh, and I was going to. Speculate on what the world would look like twenty, thirty years from now, based on the science we know today. So I, I fill it with things like augmented reality and quantum computing and dark matter and and nanotechnology and genetic engineering. All those things that you know I I'm aware of are sort of bubbling around now in, in at the cutting edge of science. And I wanted to get that right. But I think looking back on it, yeah, I, if if people get switched on by certain scientific ideas in the, in the novel, provided they know that it's not. Complete rubbish. Mm. There's actually this is, I've I've tried hard to get the science right. Then it probably is a good way of communicating ideas. That's rather different from writing nonfiction or doing broadcasting or giving talks. How
1: important
0: was science fiction when you were growing up? How much? I mean, you've mentioned Asimov and, mm. and you've you've mentioned Arthur C. Clarke there. However, do you feel that 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 reading as 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 a child shaped. Your direction, you know,
2: I think very much so because I mean, as you know, Robin, I, I grew up in Iraq, uh, and so although we spoke English at home, um, I didn't have access to as many books as I would have liked. So we used to go to the British Council Library in Baghdad, and I just borrow as you know all the books that were there. I think I must have read the whole library through two or three times, um, and and so that 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 was that was my window to the outside world. Yes, TV in Iraq. I mean, we—I I watched the, the original Star Trek in the sort of well, it's probably early seventies when I started watching it, and I fell in love with space through watching Star Trek. But but I didn't have access to the sort of you know I didn't in, didn't discover Carl Sagan until I was an adult. I didn't uh, have access to a lot of the uh, uh, books that probably someone my age would have had access to growing up in the UK. Uh, but what I did have, what I could get hold of, that really shaped me because there wasn't anything else for it to compete with.
3: Mm-hmm. But
0: you're a, you, you enjoy science fiction, don't you? you, you what, was, what was your kind of point where you got into uh, it as a genre?
3: Oh, mine, uh, mine's the Red Dwarf books.
0: Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sorry. Grant M- Naylor. And, uh, they, they call themselves Grant Naylor as the actual authors?
3: Doug Naylor and... But they, didn't they give uh, their... Yeah, 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 Grant yeah. Naylor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The two of them. Um but yeah, I, but I think Doug wrote most of the books. Right. Oh, I'm going to get a lot of tweets now. <laughs> 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 I did not mean any harm. Um, so that yeah, would have that been like your, because for me Adams, it would have been, obviously. yeah, Douglas
0: yeah, Adams, yeah. I, I But Red Dwarf, that would have been because you, you're at least, well, over 10 years younger than me. So I suppose that, that would, Douglas Adams would have been my introduction to, and that's, I know we've talked about this before, but that thing where when you read Douglas Adams, you don't realise that a lot of these things are, are real scientific ideas. I can't yeah. remember whose book I was. Re- I was reading a book the other day, and I thought, "Oh my god, definitely Douglas Adams was influenced." I'm tr- I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. But so, so those stories. What was it that hooked you about them?
3: Um, so, for me, what I remembered the mo- what well, the in the Red Dwarf world, uh, because the, in the books it's uh, much more rich. You get a backstory for Lister and all this sort of stuff, and for Rumour as well. But um, uh, it was in particular when they described the. The stories are great, but the the world before the show takes place, and there's bits where people are addicted to Better Than Life, where they um, uh, I think they're just called gamers. I, it's been a while since I've read it, and the, but it's um in the books. It's not like a headset; it's like it, it, electrodes that go into your brain, um, and uh, and then there's a drug called Bliss, which feels very Douglas Adams in the description <laughs> because basically. Um, the the tiniest. Uh, I think even looking at it gets you addicted, which means that police can't do raids. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's just a really nice uh, thing. But um, yeah, I, I think it's just the taking modern stuff now, so at the time it was when video games were becoming, the home consoles were becoming bigger and bigger and, and everyone was talking about them being addictive and all this sort of thing. So then linking that to like, oh, yeah, in the future, maybe video games are so addictive they're essentially drugs and, you know, then how would you look at people and then what at what point do you need that escapism so much that real life is that bad? And I just find that real human aspect of um, just taking – What the today's problems are, looking at them in the future, because when you look into the past, they're still there. They just had different. But that's the
2: the thing about science fiction. You you forget the best science fiction writers are are commenting on all sorts of ethical and moral issues. They're not just talking about shiny, whizzy bits of tech and spaceships and aliens. Mm. They're commenting on things that that you know that have real sort of deep philosophical implications. Yeah, I remember Robert Heinlein, someone I read. I mean, politically, I don't think I'm quite aligned with with him. But I do remember reading as a as a teenager and thinking that's quite that's quite deep, you know. Mm. It's an interesting mix,
0: isn't it, between that kind of right wing libertarian
2: group yeah, science exactly. fiction and then the kind of more liberal,
0: the kind of you know. I've remembered what I was thinking. I, I'd never read Sirens of Titan for some reason, and I finally read that, you know, Vonnegut's book, and I, and that was the one that I kept going. Wow, yeah. Douglas Adams has to have read this book because yeah. there's a right. lot, yeah. a lot of the comedy within that, a lot of the kind of satire and the character. I, it felt that. But that's, yeah, that interesting bit of... Yeah.
2: Uh, Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut, of course, is, is someone else who, you know, who, who, who is writing about the human condition mm. a mm. lot more deeply than just a page-turning thriller. Or... But that's,
0: when you were talking about the future, this was something we did at Latitude, actually, which I really wanted to do an actual event on it, but in the end we just turned it into a podcast, which was Arthur C. Clarke, you might know this book, he did a book called The 20th of July, 2019. And I, I, I asked, it, so I said, I please, can it. we do a panel? Because it's the only, it's the perfect day to do it. And, and instead of doing the panel, so we we did, a, uh, I interviewed Helen Chersky and, and Susie Imber and, and Kev Fong and various others. And, uh, but it's such an that bit of predicting the future. So when you are, mm. like as you were saying, you're looking at kind of nanotechnology and you're looking at all of those different ideas into virtual reality. That bit of when you're working out, how can I predict that can be both fascinating Unexpected, yes. but not so that in
2: 20 years' time people go, have you read Jim O'Kleur's rather silly yes. book? Yeah, you yeah. Know exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. I was very, very keen. So dark matter in particular plays a big role in, in, in some you form. Know, we know that there's this stuff out there that's invisible uh, in the universe. There's more dark matter than the normal stuff that's made of atoms, but we don't know what it's made of. Uh, and it has gravitational properties. So I'm predicting that by 2041, when the story is set, we know what dark matter is made of. Uh, and there's, at the moment, there's all sorts of candidate particles that it might be. And luckily for me, the guy in the office next door to me, Justin Reed, head of the physics department at Surrey University, is one of the world experts on dark matter. So I'd go to him with the, with the script and say, so neutralinos, so these are hypothetical supersymmetric particles that the Large Hadron Collider is looking for, what's the chances they might be what dark matter is made of? And he said, well, you know, they're among the candidates. It's still possible. Yeah. Said, How likely? He said, well, you know, as a scientist will say, well, of course, it depends on we're putting constraints on the parameters and the energy. blah blah, blah. But could they be dark matter? Yes, good. That's enough for me. Yeah, that's so, <laughs> and then I was so worried because there's a lot of research going on trying to find out what dark matter is made of that either they will be discovered that, that uh, no, it's not neutrinos at all. It's some other particle, or that in fact they discover that it is neutrinos. In which case, it's trumped my um, you know sort of my prediction. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it, they haven't yet been ruled out, uh, and we still don't know. So it's still possible. So I'm quite keen for there are there are several bits of science in there that I'd like to think I could do an Arthur C. Clarke and, and uh, have it come true in the future. <laughs> Hello, we
0: interrupt your current podcast listening to give you an exciting announcement about the 17th of May 2020, where we will be doing another show at the Royal Albert Hall. Some of you might remember we did a show Space Shambles with uh, Rusty Schweikart from Apollo 9 and Chris Hadfield and Public Service Broadcasting and Stuart Lee and Helen Chersky and various others and Lucy Green as well. And this time, as opposed to going into space, we're going to go deep into the ocean for a sea shambles. We have many guests confirmed, but most of them we're not going to announce yet. So for the time being, I can merely tell you that I will be there, Steve Baxter will be there, and Helen Chersky will be there. Uh, now go to our website cosmicshambles.com where every now and again we will tell you more exciting news about sea
2: shambles. We now return you to your program. What you have to do is work backwards. If you start off, so I've done a 2041, so what would we know then? Well, how long would it take to build a uh, uh, say an accelerator to discover such a particle? How much would we be able to discover? And you work back and think, you know, how far would ai research have got 22 yeah. years from now will we will we finally have flying cars you know i mean so you know we we in the original blade runner of course you know the flight was set this year isn't it yeah. so it's a 2019 no, we don't have flying cars yet, but we sort of hear that we're getting closer. It's
3: going to be awkward in twenty years necessity? when they find out that dark matter is actually just sneezes or something. Then, no, then that'll be that be embarrassing. No, yeah. yeah,
2: but, yeah, but I, I mean, there's a lot of other physicists around the world who are going to be much more embarrassed than me. I mean, I wrote a book of fiction. They've they've their whole careers on dark matter being real. So, well, what's your? That's an interesting. I mean. For you at the moment,
0: in terms of the debates uh, within theoretical physics, what what are you? What, what are the biggest arguments at the moment? What are the moments when, if you all gather together for a conference, you have
2: two sides, you know, and it's like ah, you know? Uh, well, uh, there's either the debate about the theory of everything, so you know whether you are a string theorist or a loop quantum gravity advocate. So, I mean, there's different ways of bringing together relativity, Einstein's relativity, with quantum mechanics. Or there's the debate about what quantum physics really means. Oh, do you believe in many worlds, or do you believe in the Copenhagen view? or do you, there's all these different interpretations of what's going on? Th- those sorts of debates, certainly on the foundation of quantum mechanics, weren't so recently just philosophy. You know basically, the physicists who were who, who hard-nosed and wanted to do research and find out how the world is made, weren't so interested in them. But now they're coming back, and there's been several very good popular science books. Highlighting how this is now getting to be a, a sort of a big debate, so there's a there's a lot of discussion which brings together all the, the the stuff we don't know. You know, what is dark matter? What is dark energy? Are there parallel universes? How does a particle be in two places at once? Um, is there an equation you can write in a T-shirt that that covers all the forces of nature? All those things that we still have no idea about we're starting to see connections between them. I, it doesn't mean we're coming to the end of physics, but it just means it's it's quite actually quite an exciting time to be starting off in the subject. I suspect I'm not going to live long enough. Well, who knows? Who knows? In this I'm, universe. In this universe. Um, in another the, universe, I'll live to 200.
0: So that's the, the many worlds thing. So where, what, I mean, what's your opinion? How do you feel about this? This is still the Hugh Everett, the third basic in, in, idea. Indeed,
2: yeah. So it's the idea that, you know, quantum mechanics, if you try and figure out exactly what is going on down at the, the subatomic level, it's strange, It doesn't. it's counterintuitive. And one of the ways of, of explaining away this strangeness is to say that there are parallel realities. Uh, and so when a particle is faced with a choice of doing this or that, it, it does both, but one in each universe. A, a large fraction, I don't know what the, the number is, of physicists working in quantum mechanics would subscribe to that view. I am not a fan. Mm. I'm not a fan of me. And I still sometimes I think, yeah, actually, it does make a lot of sense. It does simplify things. But more often than not, I think to explain away the strangeness in our universe by subscribing to the idea that there are an infinite number of other realities is just too big a price to pay metaphysically. I'm just not prepared to accept that there are other realities that we can never... Um, sense or deal with simply to solve the problem of the strangeness of of quantum Mm. mechanics. So I have a, I feel there's just one universe, there's something going on, nature behaves in a certain way. We haven't figured out how it does things. We have a a sort of an, an, an embarrassment of different interpretations. Any one of them could be right, they might all be wrong but they can't all be right. Nature behaves one way or the other, we just don't know which way it is yet. So
0: Could you give us an example, maybe two examples, one which is something which has has now made the journey from philosophical to physics and then something that's gone the other way, something which has gone from physics to perhaps a return to the philosophical?
2: Right. Well, on the first one, philosophy to physics, I guess it's something like the origin of the universe. Uh, Until a few decades ago... You'd ask a physicist, you know, how how is all the stuff in the universe made? Well, it all came from the Big Bang. Yeah, but how did the Big Bang happen? It just happened. We don't know. That's metaphysics. We can't possibly even address that question. That's the laws of physics breakdown, It just happened. Now physicists are starting to think about what is it that caused our universe to appear? Did it pop into existence from some higher dimensional multiverse? Is the Ideas like inflation theory that are still very abstract, still don't have experimental evidence to prove that they're right but at least physicists are now i mean what came before the big bang is actually a part of research in theoretical mm-hmm. physics it's respectable now in terms of what's gone the other way i'm not sure really i'm not sure that um th- there are there are ideas that go out of fashion uh, in science and there are Scientific theories that are simply, you know, they come to the end of their life, and you, you mm-hmm. someone carries out an experiment and says, Well, actually, that was wrong, okay, and then you ditch it. So it, it doesn't even live any longer in the metaphysical world, it's just trashed because we've shown that isn't the way that the universe is. So theories and ideas last for as long as they still make predictions and they still work. Uh, as soon as they've passed their sell by date, you, you throw them away. They may still. Serve as a rough approximation. You know, Newton was more or less right about gravity. He wasn't completely right, but it's it's useful. It's it, enough. It's <laughs> enough. It's enough to get the Apollo mission to the moon and back. Yeah. They didn't have to worry about Einstein. Are, uh,
3: are <laughs> physicists fans of magicians? I just think, like, if you try, if you want to know how everything works,
2: well, I well, um I mean, I can speak personally. I love. I love watching magicians, but then I also love pen and teller because they'll they'll oh, explain yeah. how it's done. For me, as long as I can—I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll watch a, a conjuring trick. As long as I can figure out a way that it was possible, I'm happy. I don't care if that is the correct way. <laughs> as long as I know that, okay, that, that, yeah. That's, but do, that's when the you work to, it
0: out, do you work it out by going, "Oh, I see how that's possible"? Magic. <laughs> That's a very bad That's bad, out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that, so, yeah no, so it has I, to be better than that. You're not going to. Be, say, it has to be better than that. They magic. obviously have a gift. You don't yeah. kind of get to that. Because there's I, a good I, I, exhibition at the Welcome Collection at the moment. Yes. Any, anyone who's coming into London or lives in London, have, have you been to it?
3: No, it's on my list. i I've got yeah. to when I get back from over. it
0: starts off. The first room is all about psychic mediums and those Ooh. those two sisters who crack their toes. To, and it shows you various different kind of some lovely, you know, very old film. Of uh, someone revealing the tricks, you know, so it's old silent movies of, of of someone revealing the masked and, and then,
3: magician, but in the old days, yeah, and yeah. it's just,
0: and I love, you know, when you watch, like, it's got one of those tricks where you go, how do they do it? How do they do it? You go, oh, literally, like they made the cigarette disappear by dropping it. That was all, yeah. but you're distracted and you yeah. watch it, and it's done so perfectly. But it's it's an interesting. Uh, I wanted to ask you about because your new show at the Edinburgh Festival is all yes. about time travel. Yes. And uh, which is still one of the things that
2: oh
0: I, I I won't
2: interrupt I'll tell you my
0: thing of time every, travel. Really. I'm excited every time that uh, when I've been touring with with uh, uh, Brian Cox on the universal tour every time there's a point which basically reveals I'm afraid that time's arrow it's a one-way journey and that we always get people who go I'm so you know there's people who really were desperate to meet Julius Caesar <laughs> yeah. or you know go to the battle of Hastings and stop Harold getting an arrow in his eye and think, uh-huh. oh, I'm going to stop working on that machine now. So, did you do, you know, when you're looking at time at, at time travel? Yeah,
3: so mine's all about the future. So, I did a lot, a lot of research into um, uh, predictions and, and futurism and went to a lot of lectures and exhibitions and read a lot of books. Um, so, it's more about the future, which I like. Again, I it's, it's why I, I, I love sci fi set in the future because you can't disprove it yet. Um, yep. But. Uh, one of the points I make in the show very early on is um, I say to people, I don't go into the past. I'm not one of those time travelers. This isn't about the, the history. Uh, I, I only go into the future. And then I and then just to use some time up, I say, Are there any questions? And then I take people's questions about the future and I do my best to answer them. Um, and I had one person when I previewed this in Soho uh, in Soho Theatre. Um, someone said yes, they put up their hand, and I. And they said, "Um, if you don't go into the past, then uh, how do you return when you go to the future? And it was the first time I've spent, I mean, I've had, I've been working on this show for basically five years in my spare time when I do other normal stand-up shows. And it was the first time that I went, oh, well, that's just undone everything. Yeah. (laughs) And well, it hasn't, the show still stands, but it was one of those moments where the entire audience just went, oh, she's got you there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, so that's that's my uh, I, I like I like the idea of time travel as a thing. I like the idea of seeing into the future, but I, I'm also quite realistic about it. I think it'd be a shame if you could. I don't like the idea mm. of going to the past because I don't like the idea of um, I think it's cheating. I don't like the idea that you could go back and change something because it's well then what's the point?
2: Well, Let's but if you, you, could change oh, yeah, but, you but you can only go back. And meddle with the past to make things, in your universe, to make things turn out the way they have turned out. You can't rewrite your own history because that's what leads to paradoxes. Yes, yeah. And so, you know, you can't go back and kill your younger self, otherwise you'd never grow up to be a... Time traveling murderer. Exactly. And therefore, you don't get killed, and therefore, you do grow up, and therefore, you do go back, and so on.
3: Exactly. Well, that's the other thing that really (laughs) bothers me.
2: Jim,
0: we're we're near the end now, so I just want to ask. uh, I mean, I don't mean we're near the end, but we're, you know. I mean, we're kind of half and half in terms of the end of the earth, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, not not necessarily the end of human civilization might be, certainly will be sooner than the the, uh, end of the earth, or certainly. But we're talking about this podcast. Yeah, but we're we're talking about the podcast anyway. So, the, uh, I I just, you know, your greatest inspirations in terms of. It doesn't just have to be science fiction, though. I would love to know what you would recommend others to read. You know, those who science fiction is. I think it's it's now it's more accepted as as a genre. When we were growing up, and it was Mm. our niche little world of pulpy kind of books and stuff. And now, because of JG Ballard and Margaret Atwood and others, there are some people who are at least allowed to write science fiction or Casu, you know, Ishiguro and people Mm. like that. Um, Who are the ones that you think people? This is a great place to start an adventure in. You know
2: the imagination of science? Um, Well, what I enjoyed when when I was a student, after my physics degree, was reading the biographies of some of the great scientists in history. Admittedly, a lot of it was focused around early 20th century because that's when so many geniuses happened to be around, you know, Einstein and Bohr and Schrodinger and Heisenberg and Rutherford and Richard Feynman and so on. Um, That's what inspired me. I, I... it was a work, suddenly science, and and this the the, the 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 this voyage of discovery of trying to figure out what everything means became it romanticized it. it. It just made it seem so exciting. I know that not everyone, certainly as a first step, would want to read the the Born Einstein letters. It's a famous correspondence between uh, two German scientists, Einstein and Max Born. But I, I, I love that. Wow! So you, they're writing this sort of correspondence over decades to each other about the meaning of, 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 uh, of the universe and the laws of physics, but also about politics and and sort of, you know, the turbulent times then. Uh, and it was a, a window into how these great minds were thinking. And then, then you read books by you know um, Richard Feynman or books about Paul Dirac and how how, what a strange genius he was. That's a
0: great yeah. The uh, oh man, what's that 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 book called? It won fan- uh, uh, the uh, Costa one uh, of the big Graham Farmelo's Yeah, book.
2: yes, the strange, the strangest, strangest man. man. Isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that, some of I mean, there was a fantastic books that I think just give an insight into how these minds come to think the way they do, it. and that they are you know they're just they're, they're people and they have their own sort of foibles and and, and weird habits, but uh, yeah, I guess. Feynman is probably the most colourful and best-known character, but there are lots of others who I think are worth finding out more about. And
0: your recommendation of the book of the year so far that you've read? We won't Ooh. keep you to it, by the way, if you change your mind. You...
2: Ooh. Uh, uh, fiction or non-fiction? Either. Uh, I've absolutely loved Tchaikovsky's new book. John, Is it John Tchaikovsky? What's that? The, the uh, Children Oh, you of... mentioned before we talked uh, about this once. Yeah. This should get the, the name right. I don't know. Have, having, having, if I'm recommending it, no, I, but I, I at least know what it's called.
0: We were talking about this with Will Leaves. Very often I buy a book, because I've read the back of it, and then I read it, and I never really get round to actually remembering the title, because the title has now become, you know... Yeah,
2: yeah. So, yeah, John Tchaikovsky's uh, latest book. Yes. Uh, no, I should get it. Children of... Tomorrow, or something like that, right. I think it is. I think that it's would cool do. Thing,
0: That's it? enough of a clue. Yeah, yeah, good. I mean, you, I, could, uh, go a, so it you could, could go be into that, a bookshop, it could be something like
2: else. It could be, it's got children in the title. That's all we need. That's
0: exactly what people, book, <laughs> booksellers love someone coming to the shop and going, is This is a podcast. There's a man who mentioned,
2: was it John, <laughs> yeah. John Beethoven
0: or something like that? And it was about, <laughs> uh, right. it was about some children or a
2: Ge- children and yeah. yeah. Can, can you help? Yeah. But it was the reason I, I, I bought it was because I was told by my, by uh my, publicist that actually it was outselling Sunfall uh, as as a a, a, a yeah, better selling sci-fi book so I thought. Get right. This
0: book's uh, better than mine. Yeah. I can't how that, believe how is it? that
2: possible?
0: Uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> you've got a book in your
3: hands? I brought a book which is actually really apt for what we've been discussing today. Uh this is called God is Disappointed in You. Um it's by uh, written by Mark Russell. And uh, uh, it's basically, this is the entire Old and New Testament where essentially each uh, book's done in a page and um, it's the best, it's all been condensed, it's quite funny, Um, but also it's the only time I've been able to actually see the storyline because it's, because the Bible, the books of bible are so big and long and wordy that you kind of forget what's happening
2: does it have all the excitement of the old testament in has it
3: has all the excitement oh, and more wow. uh in a very droll manner which is very <laughs> enjoyable um but what is um yeah there's a, a New Yorker cartoonist Shannon Wheeler as well who did all the the cartoons in it um but uh but it's really good fun and it's it's also really it's good if you kind of go oh, I wish I knew enough to say that I got references <laughs> But yeah. that's you know that's all you need. You don't want to go and actually get into it. Uh, it's just it was just interesting to see what what the Hebrews were up to for several hundred years. Because normally you sort of lose sight of that over all the books and stuff, and they change from things. But you can actually follow their journey Ooh. quite easily. See, that's what I find always.
0: You know, someone like Richard Dawkins will quite often go, obviously the Bible is a very, very beautifully written book. And I find it, yes, frankly, turgid. Nah, nah. Mm. You know, I do like the Book of Revelation, but I've got a special little Every Man's Library version of that. And, uh, I mean, that's cracking. That is, you know, it's good enough for Johnny Cash to use it in some of his recordings. <laughs> and uh, Well, there is still, we've mentioned this before on the show, but there is, you can get an audio book, which is uh, Johnny Cash reading the whole of the New Testament.
3: Ooh. Yeah,
0: so that, that's the one. But if mm. uh, while you're looking for that, you can also get uh, Jim Al-Khalili's, uh Some Fall as well. Um, I'll be t- on tour. Children in... of Ruin. Children of Ruin, there mm. we are. Yeah. Children of Ruin by Adrian Tchaikovsky. <laughs> so... Who's John. But if you want to read Children of the Moon by, <laughs> by John, John Tchaikovsky, Tchaikovsky. that his, may it, well exist soon. His, too. his
2: brother's also a very good writer, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think
0: maybe halfway through we got a different Jim Alcalili from another universe than we did a little. I don't think swap. it's that's Children of Ruin. I think that might be. Oh, love. His first book. Just say, hello, have you got Adrian Tchaikovsky's latest book, I've Heard It's Better Than Jim al To be honest, you've damaged your sales. <sighs> this was not considering you were doing this yeah. to promote your book. It's a bit of a disaster. Let's oh, no. get
3: Adrian on. Whoops.
2: Yeah, yeah, I
0: definitely want Adrian. In fact, I don't know where I'd put this out, will we? Yeah. The, And I'll be on tour, Uh, go to CosmicShambles.com where you also find out loads of different things about other things that we're up to as well and our Christmas shows in uh, Salford and London and uh, I'll be on tour with Brian Cox and on my own uh, throughout the autumn. So go to CosmicShambles.com and you'll find out about lots of other things about all our other guests as well. Thank you, bye-bye.
1: Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your support uh, sharing the show online. Pledging at Patreon, cosmicshambles.com or patreon.com slash bookshambles for all the information. Hope to see you on one of our various tour dates somewhere. If you're listening to this on the day of release, perhaps we will see you tonight at the British Science Festival uh, where uh, I will be on a panel about using science in fiction and entertainment uh, with people like John Spooner, uh, who also, by the way, has got a a new podcast out about space and stuff. Kevin Fong's a guest on that. You could uh, go and check that out. This podcast is
0: part of the Cosmic Shambles Network.
1: Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by
0: Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.